You are listening to the Evolution Exchange Podcast Australia, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful tech leaders in the industry. I'm Alan. I help connect business with tech talent. And today, I'm your host. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Evolution Exchange Podcast in Australia. Today, we're going to discuss diversity and inclusion in tech. We have an amazing panel here. Uh, we have some amazing discussion in the warm-up session already. Let's start from Winnie. Give us some introduction and kick off. Hey, Alan. Uh, great to be here. Um, my name is Winnie. Um, I'm head of engineering at Prezi, uh, the digital gift card giver. Um, um, I've been in. I came to Australia in 2013, and, and since then I've led teams at. Um, Vodafone Qantas Atlassian record point before arriving at um, Prezi around nine months ago. Uh, and here I'm looking after obviously the huge growth that's happening here at the moment. Uh, we're definitely in that hyperscale um, and yeah, exciting times. So very happy to be here. Sounds great. I definitely save your question for the later Q&A session and uh, I'm sure we have some insightful thoughts going on there. So next one we pass on to Leonard. Welcome. Thank you, Alan, and uh, good to meet all you guys there as well. Uh, certainly, I'm looking forward to some really, really robust discussion here. Uh, my background, uh, I'm currently the field CTO for Palo Alto and the Cortex stream. I've uh, been here about eight months now. Uh, my career actually is uh, based in, in the public sector. I was in federal government uh, uh, for a substantial part, in fact, uh, public sector for 30 plus years, all in IT and uh, cybersecurity. Uh, I love this industry and it's probably uh, indicative that I have a number of hats. I also uh, run the local industries tra uh, chapter for uh, ASA, Industry Association. Uh, I also sit on the advisory board for the Oceana Cybersecurity Centre. I'm also part of the Forbes Technology Council. And lastly, I'm also an adjunct professor for Deakin University in the computing and cybersecurity. So uh, definitely uh, committed to the technology sector, let's say. I can see so many has. I'm sure you are committed 100%. <laughs> so next one, we're going to go to the retain. Welcome. Uh, thanks, Alan, for having me here. And uh, yeah, nice meeting both of you, uh, Leonard and Vinny, and uh, you know, looking forward to a very productive discussion. Uh, as for me, I'm uh, currently working with StroPro. Uh, I'm the Chief Technology Officer, and uh, you know, for StroPro, we are an investment platform providing opportunities across alternative investment uh, to Australian investors. And uh, prior to uh, Stropro, I was working with KPMG in India for about six years, and before that, I had a, uh, a lot of stints with startups across US, UK, and India, uh, and uh, specializing in a lot of different domains, like we were working across US healthcare, uh, we were working with media and broadcasting, telecom, uh, and then finally, uh, KPMG and then Stropro. So I've moved to Sydney uh, uh, back in 2019, and uh, since then, just trying to find my, you know, technology feed, trying to get connected to a lot of, uh, you know, my peers in Sydney. And it's just COVID, and the current situation has been kind of tricky. But I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you know things are getting, uh, things are looking up now. I, I'm hopefully, you know, everything gets better. And looking forward to, you know, uh, meeting up and doing more of these sessions. Definitely in person, hopefully. 
Definitely. Sorry, you joined the worst situations coming into Sydney in the past 10 years, I guess. <laughs> but uh, everything will go really well very soon, trust me. We've been through the dark, the sunrise just right there. And uh, we have a special guest coming, uh, Lisa. She will join us uh, around in 30 minutes. She's actually in the company meeting. Uh, I'm sure she has a lot to add on to the topic as well. Shall we kick off the start from Vinny? So Vinny going to talk about the gender equality in the team setting and the culture inclusion. The mic has to you now, Vinny. Okay, cool. Um, look, um, I, I was really interested in, in, in this uh, this podcast. It's, it's a passion of mine is in terms of, um, you know, I, I've worked with teams a long time and, um, and one, one of the challenges I see in tech is, um, you know, you tend to see a lot of the same people, you know, you know, it's a, it's a small community. It's a, it's a, it's a tight market. Um, but you, I see in a lot of companies, you know, we tend to attract the same people, um, because I guess we're not diverse in how we kind of look uh, at, uh, you know, have a look at you know, the talent out there and how to, to join. So I'm, I've been really interested in that and how, how you can really improve that and that goes from you know how we promote a role how we how we interview how we engage and set people up for success when they arrive um, it's also how we engage out you know um, one of the things that's tough at the moment is meetups but you know prior to to covid you know getting out there and actually meeting people face to face was was a huge thing you know really to kind of engage people in what you're doing you know um tech is an amazing space to be in it, it, it lands in two, two sides, I think. One is it, it can seem very exclusive club that people don't really understand, and especially if people coming outside of tech, maybe want to do a career change. It's it's quite, it's a challenging thing to, yeah. to even think yeah. about. Definitely. Um, yeah, and, and I think, um, so, and, it, and then you've kind of got, well, um, you know, inside the club as well, it's, you know, um, there's definitely, and elements of not understanding, you know, other people's uh, points of view as well. Uh, and I'm really keen to kind of, you know, bridge some of that gap. And, you know, we do have a huge challenge in, in skills. And I think we've just got to be a, a lot more open-minded in terms of how we how we grow that this sector. Yes, well said. I'm sure, like, you know, we can relate somehow in the all different industry perspective as well. And then, uh, especially for now, right, in the middle of COVID and uh, talent short, and uh, I guess this is the worst situation can happen to all of us. <laughs> no, no, definitely, definitely. Yeah, Leonard, do you have some opinion yeah, to add on? I, I suppose I, I, I actually do concur with uh, a number of the points that Vinny's raised there. Uh, I mean, in particular, shortage. Uh, the or what I'd like to call the uh, the skills challenge in that respect. Uh, no doubt it, it's quite profound and significant in, in tech and in my area, if you want a subset in terms of tech and cybersecurity, it, it is even worse in that sense. Um, we're seeing some interesting initiatives. Uh, and again, this is my public sector hat coming, uh, hat coming out here. Um, but, you know, over the years, the, the federal government, uh, for example, uh, through the Digital Transformation Office has a, a very strong focus on uh, developing uh, the digital skills within the public sector. They have a, a very sort of a, a set program 
uh, I think it's called something like the, you know, the Building Digital Skills Program, uh, which is also quite encouraging when you think about it. So they, from a from a national level, you know, our governments recognise that there's challenges there, and they're developing these plans because they rightly recognise that um, the skilled staff are crucial in delivering a lot of these digital services that your public sector is expected to deliver nowadays. Uh, but the challenge also is that technology, by its very nature, is always evolving and changing. So you're staying current is also uh, part of that challenge in terms of, you mentioned, Vinny, about uh, gaining entry into IT or cyber. Um, it's it's such a, a fast-moving industry in that sense that you, you need to find some mechanisms to stay relevant as well to get in, let alone to maintain uh, your, your relevance within the industry as well. Thank you so much for your input. Yeah, definitely. Well said. How about Rita? What's your opinion on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with pretty much all the things. I mean, although I've only spent two years in the Australian tech industry so far. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I have seen uh, a huge change in the way the recruitments work, especially the skill labor that's available to us. And uh, uh, especially coming from a startup, you know, hiring for us has been a big challenge since we started because after I joined, we had to set up an in-house team. Uh, and uh, finding the right talent, which would be a good cultural fit, as well as a fit for the technology stack that we had. We did not have a lot of room to, you know, experiment too much because we had a go-to-market strategy and our investors were looking forward to a change. So given all those restrictions, you know, it was really hard to find the right candidate and the right fit for the team. And, uh, you know, and we ended up, uh, you know, and I'll be talking more about it when I'm talking about my team, but we ended up picking up people and, uh, you know, currently uh, our team comprises of individuals, which I can proudly say belong to different countries across the world. You know, none of the team members belong to the same country. So that's the kind of diversity <laughs> I have currently in my team. And uh, in fact, I'm a minority and a happy minority in my team. 80% of my team members are females at the moment. Uh, and, uh, and and fortunately, you know, the, the candidates we who had applied for the position and the ones we hired, you know, they ended up being one of our best resources. So it's it's kind of really, you know, uh, interesting to see how the landscape of hiring has changed. You know, I've, I've worked with large teams, 5,200 people, but then, you know, coming down and suddenly realizing that, uh, and what Vinny rightly said, you know, it's a very tight community and in fact uh, the recruitment's getting tighter because you don't have resources coming in and then you know what the resources available locally are now kind of in a way milking the situation you know that the costs of resources have almost doubled up so all those things considered I think it's 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 uh, it's been a uh, it's been a very interesting situation to you know be in in the past couple of years especially with recruitments in tech yeah definitely Thank you so much. I think your point exactly links to Landa's topic here, mm. how the holistic recruitment going to be. So I guess I'll pass on to Landa. He's already have so many things to say. I can tell. <laughs> oh, it, it's, um, thank, yeah, thanks. I, I, I suppose um, this was something that is, quite frankly, it, it's not new. It's become, um, let's say, uh, very more uh, focused and more significant in this day and age. But it, it, in all honesty, it's not really new. Um, we were facing similar type challenges you know, 10 years ago when I was in, in public sector and recruiting. And one of the ways that um, I look to tackle this situation, 
and taking into consideration you know, things like what both uh, Vinny and Rattan have said about a culture and diversity, um, is we started to develop a, a recruitment methodology that looked beyond just the, 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 the traditional uh, yeah, academic qualifications and skills of the person, if you want. And it's what, I, what, what we call you know, holistic recruitment. And basically what, what you're really doing is um, uh, you're, you're looking at the person as a whole. You're looking at their beliefs. You're looking at their, uh, their moral compass. Uh, you're looking uh, as to, I, I think, uh, Ritam talked about cultural fit. And, and let's face it, you know, uh, that term, I think, is a topic in itself because people throw it around. But what's your definition of cultural fit is going to be different to mine and yours. You know, it's very nebulous there. Um, but we, we found that when we did that recruitment using this holistic approach, we were getting better quality candidates, uh, which was one of my um, my focus areas or, or my rule, if you want. I would rather get one or two really good quality candidates out of a recruitment program, program rather than you know five, six, ten, um, very average. Uh, because in the end, uh, the good quality candidates you assess them through this holistic method, you look at uh, all those other facets that the individual brings to the table, and you end up with a more cohesive team, a more productive team, uh, and you, uh, most importantly, uh, you don't upset the apple cart. You know, if you're building something, you want to make sure that they do fit in. Go ahead, Vinny, yeah. Take Go ahead. <laughs> no, no, I was, it's, no, it's, it's a, um few points, no, I absolutely agree. And I think it's something um, I've been very keen on, 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 on pushing myself in, in the, the different roles I've been in. And um, so, and uh, say for Prezi Engineering, for example, we, we, we focus on attributes. So, um, and that's attitude and aptitude. So, mm -hmm. and, yeah. and it's, it's actually, it's actually attitude first, really. Um, it's kind of curiosity, empathy you know collaboration all of these key values and then the aptitude is is more about not necessarily are you a, a python developer or a java dev or whatever that might be it's actually do you have the aptitude to learn do you want to learn you know and it's more tech agnostic so mm -hmm. what i've found is you find good engineers not not you know who are actually going to come into a team and and, and you know it's really you know i agree about that cultural fit it's such a yeah. interesting term but it, but it's the, the best i've heard it probably met is a cultural ad is like when you bring people into the team they're going to impact your culture good or bad so you you've got to you've got to really think about who you're introducing to that if you like your your family of, of 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 your team and and what that impact is going to be, yeah. and um, and, it, and it's super super important. Um, and I found it is really quite um, it it works simply it works and you know yeah. you know talking about Prezi for example we have an amazing team here. it's not amazing team of engineers we've just got an amazing group of people and that that makes yeah. makes such such a difference. 
simple statement I want to add to that, Vinny. Um, I used to have a, a simple sort of uh, concept rule, and it was taking what you just sort of said um, and basically boil down to this. You hire for attitude, you train for confidence, and you coach for performance. And that kind of encapsulated, if you want, the, the, the mantra of, of the team in, in the sense that you come and join us, that at the high level is how we actually operated in that sense. Um, but it, it's, it's, it's interesting, you know, some of these things that you, you, you raised there, uh, listening to what you said there, the diversity question, um, I think sometimes we get a little bit caught up and the immediate thing that springs to mind is agenda. You know? <laughs> Uh, I think Ratam uh, mentioned earlier, you know, because uh, diversity, let's face it, it's, it's, it's so much more than just your know, gender and culture. You know, it, it, it really is that uh, those, those, those unique differences between individuals, you know, that uh, span a, uh, a spectrum, you know, nationality, age, religion, uh, sexual orientation, plus the skills, education and professional experience. And, th and that's, it, it, and when I, um, when I talked about recruiting holistically, it was about taking all those things into consideration when you evaluate and assess someone. Uh, because in the end, like you said, you know, uh, uh, cultural fit, everyone says cultural fit. It's, to, to me, what we're really saying in the end is my gut feel. You know, when you look at someone, my gut feel says that this person's going to be a good fit because there's no real you know, tangible scale or measure that we can apply on that one. Uh, make, makes one for some interesting sort of uh, you know, outcomes in that sense. Thank you so much. I think it's time to introduce our first participant, Lisa. Welcome. Hello, Lisa. Thank you. Hi, everyone. Hello. Hello. Please introduce yourself to the audience and also to the panel, please. Um, so my, my name is Lisa Wade and I'm CEO of Digital X, uh, which is a company based in Australia and um, we're a blockchain finance company. Thank you. Thank you, Lisa. Welcome. Later. Yeah, I will just let you go with the flow for a few minutes. I will let Ritam first to introduce his topic and I'll pass back to you. Welcome, Lisa. So, Ritam, please introduce your topic. So, I guess you have a lot to discuss about diversity in the team and also working in different places around the world. Please mm -hmm. give us some of your insight, please. Sure. Thanks a lot, Alan. And and yeah, I mean, I've been uh, just hearing what Vinny was talking about and Leonard talked about. Uh, and again, you know, I think uh, please don't hold me back on my words on cultural fit. It was just a generic term I tried to use. Uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, coming to, you know, what really matters to me uh, as, as a leader in technology, I believe diversity is something, of course, it's a very subjective term. And as you rightly said, Leonard, it's it's not just limited to gender, but that's what's the first thing that comes to mind, you know, gender and culture. That's the two things which everybody thinks of. And uh, and I personally feel, I mean, all the other aspects of uh, diversity, they do play a, 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 a not a very big role, but they do, uh, you know, influence the way a person is going to work within a group of people, you know, because all those things, we are human beings after all, right? We are going to talk to each other. We will express our opinions. And obviously that is going to, you know, uh, in a way, you know, create some form of discussion or arguments that might happen in the team, which is very natural. You know, it's, it's, it's something very natural. And, uh, and I think, I mean, with my experience working with big four consulting firms and the startups across US, UK and India, what I've really found is, uh, you know, the word, uh, you know, 
that the implementation or the achievement of diversity in larger organizations is, is a bit tricky, you know, because you have so many stakeholders that need to be aligned. And I remember we ran an inclusive uh, and, uh, and uh, uh, you know, and kind of a diversity campaign back in KPMG. And it, it took us almost six to eight months just to get the message across the entire organization. Of course, the company is 20,000 plus, but uh, you know what I've really found is startups can really play a good role when we when it comes to diversity, especially as I mentioned with Stropro. Uh, you know, uh, like currently our team, as I spoke, we have 80% female staff within the uh, technology team itself. And uh, having said that, you know, it's not just female. We're looking at cultural backgrounds. Uh, even if I look at the nationalities of the team members, you know, they all belong to different countries. And uh, I guess the, the nimbleness of the startups, you know, is something which really plays a, a big role, which allows us to achieve that, uh, uh, the, the diversity in the teams really fast. Now, you know, having said, talked about diversity and now let's talk about why is it really important for us? You know, I mean, we talk about diversity, it's there, it's important, you know, but what is the real need for it? Is it just a moral obligation that you have to do it? Or is it just a part of a, you know, a CSR responsibility campaign for a company? Uh, but personally, what I've seen is, you know, it makes a lot of business sense because a company like ours, right? We are, we are a company which prides itself in providing global perspectives on alternative investments, you know, talk about crypto, talk about structured investments and all. And then for that to happen, you know, and uh, and with our ambition of expanding across the world, we need a team which is diverse enough to understand the, uh, you know, the locale of the countries we are going to be expanding yes. in. They need to understand the culture of those countries. And yes. for example, you know, our product manager, uh, Fabian, you know, he's uh, he has founded a very successful fintech startup back in Argentina. He has just joined us uh, as our product manager. Now he has a very limited. Uh, understanding of the Australian investor landscape, right? But then his inputs coming from his experience from Argentina are really helping us, you know, evolve our platform. So that's the kind of, uh, you know, what I feel is diversity makes real business sense if, you know, it is implemented properly. If there's a proper strategy around it, I think it can definitely aid and scale in a very fast scale up of a business, you know, in terms of revenues, in terms of staff, in terms of uh, expansion across the world. So I feel that's something which is, uh, you know, uh, an integral part. I mean, it's no longer something that you should have. It's a must have in any team. You know, that's that's what I uh, currently feel. And, uh, you know, I was just looking at, you know, what you guys have done, Leonard and Lisa. I mean, both of you, I was, uh, you know, kind of trolling your profiles on LinkedIn. And uh, I found you guys have done some tremendous you know, uh, you know, uh, work in the past. And I think, Lisa, you have a, a very rich, you know, experience in terms of diversity. And I was, uh, the, and, and another reason I wanted to be on this forum uh, is, you know, to gain a lot of insights from the two of you there as well, you know, just to learn more and make it better for everyone. Yeah, thank you. It's interesting listening to what you're saying because there's a great difference between diversity, there's a great difference between inclusion, um, and then there's respecting each and everyone's individuality, and then there's trying to create teams that build successful businesses and how you bring that all together. And one of the things I've really been working on lately is um, making sure that there is a diverse group of opinions uh, mm -hmm. and then everybody being aligned to a single purpose. And I think um, having that anchor and that heart and soul of that purpose can um, you know, really helps to um, 
create the success out of the diversity. And, um, I, you know, I think there's a big difference between, um, you know, inclusion uh, for the sake of inclusion and fostering diversity to respect each and every individual uh, whilst trying to all be, you know, part of a greater good or be part of something bigger than ourselves. And um, for, for me, it's really anchoring to that purpose so that everybody can connect and, you know, respect each other's opinions because actually a lot of the magic happens yeah. in that friction that can be created uh, as long as it's done in a respectful manner. And, um, you know, I think it's we're at an exciting point um, in business development where that's being recognised and it's no longer seen as sort of a fight for equality or, you know, a fight to be included. It's now how do we, we know that the statistics say that diversity of thinking mm. creates more profitable businesses. How do we bring that and how do we really maximise it? So I, I think it's quite exciting. It's an interesting point that you bring up, Lisa. Um, if I if I heard you right, part of this process is about um, recruiting and bringing the right people in that genuinely want to be there for all the right reasons, as opposed to oh, it's just a job, it's a job, it's a job. And, and oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, and, and that I, I I agree with you 100% on that one because that was um, what I was alluding to earlier when when they used to focus around the recruiting to get quality candidates. You know, part of the the mechanism, you know, whether uh, the, the questions and the interviews process was to try to establish whether someone had that real passion for the role, uh, you know, for the, for the industry and what, what we're trying to do. There's a, a flavor of a mission, if you want, in terms of coming in and join us, uh, which I, I guess kind of overlaps with the, you know, the culture that is the beliefs, the values, all those attitudes that you want um, and bringing that, that team or that section or, or even that organization together uh, but getting the right person uh, needs to look at all those factors beyond just uh, you know their, their, their grades and their qualifications yeah. oh absolutely and um, you know I, I think that um, I mean I mean my goodness even when I was at Citigroup I was always the one they put on the graduate recruitment program because I wasn't the one who would hire all the kids with the master's degree I'd be like no that person has a degree in like history but let's bring them in because you know you do realize that what we're doing for a living is trading and if we don't have any people that are suited to trading then nobody will be any good at it because you know it's not yes. a trader doesn't necessarily mean getting good marks at university or school it, there, there are other qualities at play and um you know it's hugely important to bring yeah. those factors in and i honestly believe if people love what they do they um you know i don't like the term working harder i, I think that they, they work better oh 100 i absolutely used to see that uh when, when i you know, built my team for, for federal government uh it, it's it's what I said earlier. You, you, if you bring them on board and they have that passion and, and that that mission mindset, uh, the commitment is 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 natural. It just flows in that sense. Yeah. Um, but the, the the challenge, like I said, it, it was how do you um, sift through all that to find those nuggets of gold? And uh, uh, I'll, I'll I'll just share one one thing that uh, we used to do in our interviews was. Uh, we started moving away from just you know, your standard uh, questions where it was like a, uh, for want of a better term, you know, cookie cutter type answer, you know, uh, define this or describe this. So we started using um, scenario based questions. Uh, now, for example, 
uh, you know, given given what my background, it was around the cybersecurity. So we'd say, okay, Lisa, you're uh, you're on call. It's ten o'clock on a Friday night, and uh, you've just had a call that there's a potential incursion incident. Run with it. Tell me what you do now. And and when they when they unpack that scenario, they have to demonstrate those skills, those those, those qualified and academic components. But they also had to demonstrate things, whether it was empathy, uh, the soft skills around uh, um, communication, you know, communication up and down, uh, uh, direction, and, and things like that. Uh, and we found that we were getting better quality candidates when we started recruiting more holistically, rather than just you know that the old stayed uh, approach around, you know, as you said, master degrees uh, or you're in the door, so to speak. You know, uh, but we had to move. We had to change things if you wanted to move the needle. Yeah, I was just going to add to that, like, um, I, I absolutely agree, because I think one of the challenges I've seen, especially in my space and engineering, is we keep looking in the same places, you know, um, and obviously you're going to find the same people when you keep doing that. So um, one of the things that I generally do, same here as Prezi, first thing I did with AD was remove, you know, the, you need X qualification, you know, a lot of engineers come myself taught. Uh, and that's that's they're, they're passionate about what they do and they, because they they've gone out and done it themselves. Mm. Um, so actually, putting that on a JD and start to exclude people doesn't necessarily make sense. And um, and also, if you see in the in the market now, I'd say ninety percent of the companies out there are looking for senior engineers. Mm. No one's willing to take a bet on on anyone who's in early career. Uh, and and what you find is when people who want to shift shift career, they want to move from from one career, one one industry to another, or or they they've gone off and done a boot camp. That's where that passion is. They've made a choice. They've kind of gone. I, I want to do this, and that should be you know encouraged and 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 uh, that growth is 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 um, supported. So I've had a lot of success in in looking at them, you know, non traditional areas uh, to find yeah, to find yeah. people because there's a natural passion for what they want to do they, they kind of know what they want to do you may not know how to do it or or where where to look but they're kind of they but they're they're ready to to, to move into that new career yeah, I what... agree with you there Vinny and uh, you know just to add uh, to that point you know that uh, you brought up a very good point that everybody's looking for senior resources at the moment right and one thing that I mentioned in the beginning, right? We were not able to find resources purely because of two barriers, right? The cost was too high and we weren't just getting enough skilled labor within uh, Australia locally, right? So we started looking at unis and uh, and uh, we ended up hiring two fresh uni graduates, uh, you know, out of, uh, you know, and obviously they had a different background, but they did a technology course. Somebody had a, a combined management and technology course and uh, they've been with us for over a year now. And uh, I, I, I'm, I can honestly say I'm really impressed with the performance. I would not have expected that to come out of somebody who's fresh out of uni, purely because they do not have the experience of working in the field that much. But I think what they really needed was just a bit of that guidance to, you know, nudge them in the right direction. And I think that's where the company leadership plays a, plays a big role. And all I had to do was show them that this is how you're supposed to do it. And then they were off on their own and, and, and where they are right now, I think they've come a really long way. So I think that's a, that's a very good point there in hiring, right? We should not really be looking at experienced guys. 
you know, we, we never know what we're going to find in that gold mine of resources coming out of unis every year. You know, I feel just... very strongly about um, what I've witnessed as, I think, a huge shift over the last 30 years of my career. When I left university, I had to fight really hard to get a job because there was a recession. But the moment I had that job, I was given all of the responsibility that I could take. Nobody ever held me back. Nobody ever said, you have to wait this long until somebody gives you responsibility. If I worked hard and I performed, my job just grew and grew and grew. And I kept, you know, whatever promotion or status you get, um, that happened. And what, I've, what I'm seeing now is this, well, you, you've just come straight out from university. So you have to bide your time and you have to do this job and we don't care how smart you are you're going to do the powerpoint slides for four years and then i might consider promoting you and i'm not going to invite you to the senior leadership meeting because i don't want to listen to you and you know what i see is the great leaders take the young people take them under their wing embrace what they have to say allow them to be fully expressed and allow them to do full and complete jobs because it's not all about experience. There's so much value that you can add, and especially the industry I'm in now, which is you know crypto and blockchain. And you know what? Um, the, I had someone who um, I've been mentoring him, um, and every week he'd say, "Oh my God, I'm so grateful for you to give me your time." But he would sit there and we would talk, and for that hour, I would learn so much about you know, how people his age group are thinking about crypto, what wallet he's using, you know, like I'm turning 50 in April, I don't know what's going on in the, in this sort of generation, I guess, I don't feel that old, but you know, in the younger generation, and I would always feel, I'd be like, well, I don't, you know, thank you for your time, like, I appreciate your time, and, and you know, I, I feel very strongly that, um, you know, we need to give young people more responsibility and bring that you know, demographic, you know, into the conversation, especially in large organisations, I think they're missing out. Yeah, look, I, I absolutely agree on that. And I've, I've found, you know, in the past is that when you talk about, say, being, you know, maybe uh, early career, say, engineers into into the space, it's very much about what we're going to lose. Well, you know, they haven't got enough experience, how much they're going to cost, all this sort of thing. Uh, and there's never, or I'm not saying never, it obviously depends where you are, but there's that view on what actually do they bring to the team. Uh, and what I find is usually the least experienced is the one that challenges the most experience because they, they ask the questions nobody else is asking. You know, why do we do that? Simple as simple as yeah. that can really challenge somebody who's been doing it for a long time. And, and I find teams grow better when you have that better balance of, of experience as well. I think they, and, and my experience with mentoring as well, I've been, doing that a long time. I learn as much from the person I'm, I'm working with as, as they, they may do from me. It's it's an amazing relationship. And and I think, uh, you know, that's that should be encouraged as well. You know, we all keep on learning. And it, this idea that some people know and some people don't is, is, is kind of the wrong attitude. Yeah. No, spot on, spot on, Vinny. I, one of my sayings uh, back to my team in those days is like, look, uh, each of us don't know any and everything, but you know, together as a collective, we stand a pretty damn good chance of solving whatever that challenge or problem is, because we all have that bit to contribute to. Uh, but yeah, yeah, having that cohesive um, uh, mechanism, uh, so people could come together with those disparate views, but being appreciated for bringing those challenges there. Um, 
to to Lisa's point, yeah, you know, one of the things that we used to do um, back back in my FedGov days, uh, we used to recruit a majority of it were, were grads. Uh, it was one of those things where my whole team were predominantly grads, but we we bring in a couple every six to twelve months, and you throw them straight onto the job, but you throw them with a buddy, so they always had like, okay, you're, you're paired up with this person for the next six months, and. Uh, they'd basically be doing the job under guidance because in the end, how do you get experience if you don't get exposure? Yes, keeping them on the sidelines is is doing them a disservice as well as you. You've just spent all that time, effort, money, and you're paying them good money. Yeah, you, know, you, you should be finding the uh, finding the, the the quickest path to making them productive. You know, then everyone wins. Uh, 100% agree there, Leonard. And uh, I think to the point where, uh, you know, we were just talking about uh, what Winnie just mentioned that, you know, the youngest of the uh, hirees seem to be asking all the right questions to the most senior of the team members, right? And I, I think that was something which we experimented with back uh, when we were hiring in KPMG. You know, what we used to do is we used to have one of the most absurdly worded questions on the questions that we used to ask them, right? And half the time that I saw the most experienced uh, resources who were coming in, the candidates, they would not even question that. They would just say, oh, I do not understand the question. Can you elaborate a bit more? But the fresh grads that came in, and I would say 80% of the fresh grads that came in, they used to straight away say the question is wrong. You know, your question's wrong. You're asking the wrong question. You know, that's the comment. And the people who actually said that were the most uh, likely candidates of getting selected. That's the that's the statistics we draw out of maybe 500 hirings we did over a span of two years. So yeah. that's something which really, you know, uh, you know, I was I was part of a social experiment. I would say in the hiring team, but that really came out well, and the numbers. And I'm still using that strategy. You know, I throw in one of those absurd questions here or there, maybe a question that doesn't make sense at all, and let them, let the candidate decide if, if they want to answer it and how they answer it is is actually, you know, uh, what 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 provides me the insight on whether they are the right fit for the job or not. Are they asking the right question? I mean, do they even identify that it's it's a wrong question and you're asking me something wrong? Uh, that, that, that's that's a really really good point because. If, if, if we're building true diversity, then really the outcomes are one of the outcomes then in a good diverse team is that environment of creativity and innovation where people can you know, question and, and you know, push the envelope and provoke thought and things like that. Uh, and in the end, when you have that, that vibrant type community or, or environment, uh, you see it manifest itself with you know, employee retention, uh, and then in the end, it's, it's a great ROI for the organization because you, know, you spend all this money getting someone in. You, you're going to spend time training them uh, with the right environment. They're going to pay great dividends by sticking around longer. Um, but yeah, it, it really comes back to keeping, keeping um, the outcomes in mind you know, uh, as you go through that whole uh, process of uh, recruiting and retaining people. Yeah. Amazing input, all the gentlemen here. I think now we should give the stage back to Lisa to speak from a different perspective. Here we go, Lisa. Oh, I'm putting me on the spot here. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's your time well, to share the topic. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I guess the elephant in the room is we're talking about diversity in blockchain, and I'm the only woman here. And um, I think that it probably, you know, is something that 
a piece of work that the industry needs to do to start to think about, um, you know, how we, um, you know, we can, what I'm hearing here is we can all talk the talk. Um, how do we walk the talk? Um, and uh, I certainly feel like, um, you know, we can go on the journey. Um, and um, I, I know that, um, I, you know, I've come from two male dominated industries now, finance, and now I'm operating in the intersection of finance and technology. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, I guess it comes down to, you know, our universities and how we encourage um, kids in unis to, to want to move into this sector and especially women and, um, but, you know, maybe having some awareness around, you know, is it an intimidating industry for women to join and maybe asking some hard questions? Um, I, I certainly don't know the answers um, because obviously, um, you know, in finance, um, you know, guess what, in finance, that's just the way it is. And um, in technology, um, I, I think, you know, um, it's starting to become the way it is. Technology is a relatively new industry, right? Um, finance is from the middle ages. Technology is just emerged. We probably have a, an opportunity to really address that and ask the hard questions now. Hey, Lisa, um, you use an interesting word, intimidating. Can you elaborate on that a bit? Oh, I think Sorry, putting you on the spot there because it's oh, no, a really good. Well, way. I mean, it is kind of intimidating to, um, you know, um, often be the only woman in the room. Like, there's four of us, five of us here, right, right. and this is not uncommon for me to be the only woman in meetings. Um, I probably spent a great deal of my career um, being the only woman in meetings. Um, you know, podcasts are new things, but um, you know, it's interesting, and, and you know, there's a um, a feeling that, you know, I, I get when I walk in, it's like, oh, like, oh my God, I'm the only girl here. Holy, wow. <laughs> How can that be? And, 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 and um, for a lot of my career also, I've had, um, I've been spoken over the top of. Um, my, my great colleague, who's exactly the same age as, as me, my former colleague, because I've just changed jobs, and um, inside of the bank that I was working out, which is typical, so I don't need to call it out. And, and he would, like, we would have a laugh. And, um, and when people would mansplain what I would just say, and I would say something, it would be a perfectly good idea or a perfectly valid comment. And then there were genuinely people in the room that would go, no, 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 that's not right. And then they would say the exact same thing and repeat what you'd said from the context of what I'd said being wrong. Um, and, and that's really intimidating. And so, and, and then we would play games and totally take the piss out of those people. Uh, but but it, it can right. be, you know, um, and just as I'm sure it's intimidating for, you know, um, men to be the only man in a room full of women. Like it's, um, you know, that's why equality and diversity is so important. So mm. everybody can feel comfortable and not intimidated. As in, yeah, okay. yeah. Thank, thanks for that. Uh, just wanted to get some clarity and yeah. I can see where you're coming from. Yeah, I think Lini has a lot going on there. Lini. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's, it's all right. It was just the, something hits on. I think uh, it's been my experience as well. It's I've been involved in the last few years in uh, the Lucy Mentor program in LTUTS. So it's it's female engineers uh, coming out of uni on you know uh, like bachelors or masters, uh, and a lot of the questions I've had over the years is actually. There's a fear of the interview process. There's an actual 
or they're going to ask me um, an algorithm that they're going to do this. There's a real fear yeah. of actually getting through the front door. And it's and if it was one person, I'd go, okay. But it's been asked so many different times. And it's interesting, you know, it's something I really focus on is that, that process. Because I, I work with senior male engineers who hate the interview process as well. Because it's, it's, it's interesting how, how the interview process is, is actually in a lot of circumstances set people up to fail the really kind of uh, oh. you know a big becomes an interrogation it becomes a how can we catch this person out where, where actually i've found like for example what we do here we've, we've got a really streamlined process just because mm -hmm. we're hiring so quickly but the first interview is very much around alignment and it's very much like this is crazy we're doing amazing things we want you to be here I'm making sure that where we're going is the same place as that person where it wants to go. And, and asking the questions like what sets you up for success? What, what gets you out of bed in the morning? These sort of things. But the actual, the technical element is that we, we, we've actually more focused on, on, on pair programming. So it's actually working with a couple of people in the team on, on a problem. It's not, we don't even call it a test. It's actually, we're just going to work together. And it's actually, you can still use Google, you can ask questions, if you can't remember the syntax of something, it's very much, it's not a memory test, it's actually how we work together. And we found that really, really um, is resonating and, and it's, it's working as well. But also in terms of not everybody wants to do that, we offer like, you know, if you want to do a take home test or we want to share your portfolio or you want to do these different things. So it's actually, making it a little bit more equitable in terms of not everybody kind of uh, excels in the same way. Um, but it's amazing the stories I've heard of other engineers and I've been through myself in how other organizations essentially just, you know, score so much stress in that kind of when you're actually trying to get people into your door and what you're actually doing is sending them away with an awful experience. So yeah, but it's 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 hitting people coming into the industry. They know about it. That's what's yeah. scary. You know? So they they're expecting it to be an awful experience. Yeah. And uh, one point that uh, Lisa, you just raised. You know, you you just talked about the role of women in finance and the role of women in technology. And uh, you know, I'm I'm currently working with a company which is a fintech, which is like a combination of finance and technology, very similar to what uh, you know uh, uh, I believe Digital X is doing. Uh, and one thing that I have noticed, and uh, and I can relate to what you're saying is, you know, of course diversity in teams is good, and 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 I'm, I mean this is my first stint with a pure play finance sort of a, a solution that we're building. And uh, although we are targeting high net worth investors, out of a thousand investors that are working with us, I could count the number of female investors on my fingers. You know, that's the number of investors we have. So I think yeah. it's it's not just that we are looking at tech and that even the finance part. And as you rightly said, you know, I, I mean, I can actually I even know the names of the people. I remember them. That's how many female investors we have on on the platform, right? So it it I think that also brings in that the the you know, I think that inclusion needs to come in from both the sides, you know, not only on the internal insights of a company, but from, you know, whether the clientele that I'm looking at, it's just, uh, you know, the diversity is uh, not there at all. It's quite skewed and more uh, male dominated there as well. So to, to, to Lisa's point though, you know, how, how do we change that? And uh, yeah. and really the, the, one of the things 
when I heard Lisa's point is um, where I'm going with this is, is, is simply this. Okay, uh, how do we influence them to come or consider the tech industry in the first place? And my personal experience, my kid sister, nine years younger than me, uh, shout out to Dawn. Um, when she was finishing high school, uh, she, she said, oh, yep, uh, I'm going to do nursing. And her best friend, yep, we're going to do nursing. And I remember uh, ribbing her about that at the time. Yeah, so oh, why do you want to do that? And blah, blah, blah. IT is where the cool stuff is, you know, that sort of thing like that. But it was interesting out of that ribbing, it, it started to manifest itself in a more serious tone. And um, after, after the fun and games, it's like, well, uh, if you look at the, uh, the, the, the demand, the employment rate, the type of work you do, uh, the remuneration, all that sort of stuff like that. Long story short, uh, she, she re reconsidered and she ended up going and doing uh, uh, undergrad in IT. And now she is absolutely crushing it. She's one of the senior project leaders for IT for Genworth. And uh, I still give a hell, obviously, you know, when I catch up with her, I say, well, you know, that was my influence, that sort of thing. But the I suppose the point I'm trying to say is, well, how do we start to change some of these things? And there's things we can do at a personal level, but how do we then you know, influence the industry or, or society at a greater level to uh, at least give uh, some insight and opportunity for uh, uh, the female gender to, to at least consider tech as a, uh, a vocational choice? Yeah, I think um, it's interesting because one of the other panels I've done for International Women's Day is around role modelling and, um, you, know, um, you know, you can't be what you can't see. And mm. one of the things that was uncovered during that, because I've never really thought about role models because I've never actually really had one because as a our LGBTI woman in finance, um, you know, if I have mentors and role models, they're generally always men. And... Um, the only, I think, out woman in the whole of finance at a really senior level is Inga Beale, who's the CEO of Lloyds of London. And um, she actually, uh, when I joined National Australia Bank and started doing the work on the Pride Committee, I reached out to her because it was a podcast with her that a colleague had sent me that allowed me to feel comfortable in that environment. And I thanked her and, um, you know, she agreed to do a panel for us during a Pride event. Um, but it's really around this role modelling piece, I think, and, uh -huh. um, you know, elevating um, those who are succeeding and uh, talking about it and, and you know, showing and leading the way. And, um, you know, we've got a lot of work to do in terms of um, how we present those role, role models and um, people feeling like they can step up and um, have the courage to um, be sort of, and especially when you look at the intersectionality of LGBTI and women and the gender piece in, in technology, um, it, you know, I think, Vinny, you were talking about fear and, you know, I mentioned intimidation um, and I think it's creating safe spaces so that people can step up and stand up. And, and I certainly, um, you know, I'll share that when we had Pride Month last year at NAB, um, we did a panel, a Rainbow Women panel, and I'd formed the Rainbow Women group at National Australia Bank. Um, I'd done a speed networking event 
um, which I personally called every single woman who contributed to the workplace page on National Australia Bank. Because when we did a shout out for the speed mentoring, nobody, um, nobody re replied and I was like oh my god this event is going to be a train wreck and every woman that I called said oh I didn't think that was for me because I didn't think these senior leaders would would want to um, you know network with me I was like no you are the person that we've set this event up for um, and so we managed to gather about 25 women and it's a very small group and then we had a panel for um, uh, Pride Month and I was interviewed on the panel by a senior female leader of the bank and she called me a role model and I was actually I actually started crying because I didn't see myself as a role model and that was so uncomfortable for me to be to see myself like that that it created emotion and I was like oh wow you know it's never really occurred to me I've never really had a role model and it didn't occur to me that what I was doing was an active mm. model and then I was like well hang on you know I've mentioned a couple of times, I'm turning 50 in April, um, you know, possibly I am a role model and I need to lean into that, uh, which is quite intimidating when you feel like you're putting yourself out there and, um, you know, it's very hard to sort of, I guess, see yourself. And I generally don't think, I think women are, um, I don't know if the word shy or, you know, just that sample of all of the women that I spoke to, I didn't think that was for me, whereas I'm pretty sure a guy, you would have had, you know, all of them, you know, falling over themselves to be part of it, probably saying, hang on, I should be a mentor. Why, you know, why aren't I the mentor on the speed networking? So I think there's sort of also a confidence piece and creating safe spaces. And, you know, at NAB in the Rainbow Women area, we who would say, I don't even understand why you need a Rainbow Women network. And it's like, well, because all of the data says that, um, you know, all of the pride events that we have, um, are extraordinarily male dominated, even in this subsection, because what we've found is um, generally, um, even if women aren't out at work, generally LGBTI women, they don't want to go out after work because they often have children and, and, and they work hard and they, you know, networking with drinks is not the thing that we, they want to or we want to do. And we had to come up with other events and other ways for women to connect to bring that because what we think women want and what they resonate with isn't actually what is needed in the workplace to, you know, foster these this role model building and bring women together and um, allow them to connect in a way. And, you know, um, I would say that, you know, in technology, that could be the same thing. I mean, look at things like, um, and I love Blockchain Australia, I'm on the board and, you know, Steve, the CEO has done a wonderful job of bringing that diversity, but if you just, I went to one of the events when, you know, I won the inclusion and gender award and I think there was about, you know, May, it was a very limited crowd, but there were definitely a handful of women there. Relatively, there was so many more men there than, than women. I think that we, you know, have a long way to go creating those safe spaces and, um, you know, I, you know, women don't want to go to an event where they feel like um, they're going to get hit on. They, they don't want to feel like they're going to get asked out on a date. Um, you know, it's like we, we need to be thinking about, you know, the, the safe spaces that we're creating and, um, and and how we're, you know, presenting the industry as a whole, I think. Yeah, definitely. Hmm. Very, very insightful thoughts. Thank you so much for everyone. I think this is time for us to do some Q&As. Uh, first question will come in from Vinny. Do you want to share your question with us? Sure. Um, I should have had it in front of me so I can remember it. but. Um, 
Yeah, I so can. it's basically, <laughs> no, it's, it's basically, um, you know, it, it's, it resonates with me at the moment, but when with hyperscale kind of growth, how, how can we be equitable? So how can we, and, and what I essentially mean about that is we, to, to, so to move at the pace we want, we, we tend to put everyone through the same process. So how do we make sure we, we don't get just the same people out the other end? So it's it's more about how can we make something more equitable? It's not just about diversity and inclusion. It's actually how do we um, support different people in different ways? Hmm. Interesting. Um, I, if, I, I suppose one of the simple things here, I, I'm, I'm uh, with Palo Alto eight months only. Um, one of the things that I think aligned with what you're saying, how you support um, people in different ways, uh, I, I came to understand that we have this um, a corporate program, what we call FlexWork. And basically, it's uh, an employee-centric way of working. It, it, you, you give uh, all, of, all of us employees have choice and ability to personalize how and where we work. Uh, we have no timelines, there's no minimum requirements or, or on when you work and how you work. We, we can set that. Um, and that allows us to move things around, you know, whether you have other commitments, family commitments, things like that. Um, a simple example out of that, we've introduced this thing called um, Flex Public Holidays. And that allows um, staff to swap out public holiday for something that's more meaningful for them. Uh, if you have a different uh, religion, for example, and things like that. Um, so it's really, really quite um, uh, eye-opening for me to find uh, an organisation I've joined is, is really quite um, open-minded in terms of okay, how they can actually empower employees uh, in, in developing this more employee-centric way of working. Yeah, I think um, just listening to that answer, I, I do think that um, there is this, you know, um, piece of work around um, stripping back how we all identify, um, and you know you can notice that in my email, in my signature here, I've got my pronouns, and you know there's a whole lot of um, little things like that that we can do that um, create that equitable workplace. So I I do think that um, I'm an impact investor, so I, I do a little bit of eye rolling when people say not equality, equity. There's a difference between equality and equity. I mean, the principle is the same. We need to create a sense of belonging. Um, if we're mincing our words about definitions, that's we're not doing the job. Good point. Um, and it's how we create that belonging that really matters. And um, I think that belonging creates, creating that sense of belonging naturally creates and fosters, you know, belonging is the purpose. And then you get the outcome of the equity or the equality that, that you're trying to achieve. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's get, aligning with some some uh, common value, common goal, sort of thing that brings it all together. Absolutely, and I want to. Um, the company that I first heard about belonging, um, it was really interesting because the girl she doesn't work there anymore. It's a very large company, very famous Australian owns it, very into re renewable energy. Let's just say in technology, so you can guess who it is. But I don't want to. Um, criticized but I was so inspired I like I did all this research on belonging and I really you know I moved forward and that's how I framed a lot of um, my leadership role of NAB Pride uh, and then we as a NAB employee we got seconded into a charity and 
when I was seconded into that charity, that particular tech company uh, was doing great work for that cha charity. They did a hackathon to uh, commit to building them a new idea for the day. And there were three women in the room out of 100, three women out of 100. And I was like, I was shocked. I was shocked and devastated. I was like, you're not walking the talk. You've got someone out there inspiring people and talking the talk. But actually, when you look at the room of the, your employees, like, where are all the women? Um, it was quite, quite ironic. All right. And, and Vinny, I think just to add to, uh, I think Leonard and Lisa have already uh, you know, uh, kind of answered pretty much the question, but I just wanted to add, I think you asked uh, about the recruitment part of things. How do you ensure that recruitment also is fair, uh, you know, along with the onboarding of the, the resources into the company? So uh, in my own personal experience, I feel, you know, the recruitment is something which has to be uh, you know, uh, flexible enough to accommodate all types of candidates. You know, we can't have a one-size-fits-all sort of a interview situation. You, uh, the person who was interviewing needs to ensure that they are framing the questions according to the to the personality of the person they're speaking to. You know, you can't have the same kind of questions being asked. Maybe the same topics, but not the same way of asking, or maybe, you know, how you're putting the question forth and how the person it could be an introvert, uh, by nature, or it could be a very extrovert person in nature. So the questions have to vary and the person has to be flexible enough to kind of keep rephrasing the question to get the right answer to make sure that they are able to get through to the candidate. And I think from an onboarding perspective, it's really important that whoever is getting on board onto, into a company understands that, you know, they are, they, they will be supported in, in whatever they want to do. So like uh, Leonard mentioned, they have a flexi, uh, program in terms of how you can arrange your work. It may not be practically possible for a company like ours, but there are other ways like the holidays that we just talked about, you know, so we do provide that. You know, if, if you can't do a, a work arrangement, we can definitely look at the various, you know, uh, you know, uh, beliefs that people have. Like, for example, uh, you know, I, I come from India, so we, we celebrate Diwali, we have Holi. So we have those days, you know, they're obviously not a public holiday in Australia, but I do get those days off. And, and I, I'm happy to work on a public holiday because, you know, it's not really that important for me. So I think that that point really makes sense there. And as long as companies are working towards, you know, making those policies and helping their employees, you know, uh, uh, be supported and, and belong, you know, they, they need to feel that they belong to that company's holistic culture. It doesn't have to be one specific culture. They just need to know that they belong and they are appreciated for what they are and who they are. I think that's that's the key that I have seen in my personal experience that really works to bring the teams together. And I think that's that's kind of like the only way, uh, you know, that's kind of like I'd like to add to what everyone said. Yeah, I think that ties perfectly to the next question coming from Leonard. How do you recruit <laughs> ensure it's the right person? <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I think listening to what Vinny said and, and, and to the rest of the gang here, I, I think mine's more of an extension of some of these questions here. And, and what I'm really referring to here is um, how do you ensure, you know, we had like fairness and, 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 and so forth, how do you ensure that the right person is uh, selected for the role um, as opposed to uh, just meeting quotas or ticking boxes and things like that. Uh, and this is why I liked this approach that I talked about earlier about the holistic recruitment, because it does look at the, the, the hard 
skills around the academic, the quals, whatever it may be, the experience. But then it looks at all those other facets there uh, and takes that into consideration. Um, because quite frankly, I know I've spoken to a number of colleagues in, in, uh, in my industry where the person who's got the job has ended up getting the job but lacks uh, what I described the ability to execute in the end. So you've ticked all these different boxes, but you've ended up with someone who, you know, what we talked about earlier, they're not actually going to be uh, positively uh, uh, positively accretive to the outcome for the business, for the team and things like that. Uh, and, and that's, I guess, my, my, my question is that how, how do we get that right balance uh, consistently to ensure the right person gets the job uh, on merit? I'll jump in. Um, it, I think simple answers. It's it's hard. Recruitment is, is hard. Yes. <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> Thank you for considering think... my position, everyone. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's what what I find is uh, you know we 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 try to, I guess, measure somebody's skills, you know, attributes, whatever they may be, in a in a relatively short amount of time. And in, often in a very alien kind of setting, and then we kind of hope that will somehow transfer into to a role. Um, so it, you know, it's not an easy thing to do. Um, yeah. But I guess what I've found is is trying to make that process closer to the the role itself. Um, so you kind of you know you you work on a, a problem which you're likely to work in your day job. So it's it's not like we're going to give you some super tough algorithm that you'll probably never touch again. Um, but uh, but it's also working with people so you get not only just work on a solution, but you're also working with people. And and in that sense, you're learning about the people that you're you're going to work with, and they're learning about you. Um, and even in a short amount of time, you can start to gauge of you know how they think, how they approach things and I guess that's the best way I've found. Um, I'm sure there's better ways out there, but I'm, I'm still looking. No, no, I think I think you're right that front there. Something that's more akin to the real uh, the real job at hand um, does allow you a, a, a closer lens into how they're going to operate in that environment. And you're right, it goes beyond just the academic and the, and the quals and skills. And hopefully what it does also percolate up is things like, uh, you know, their, uh, their, their passion for the mission. Uh, uh, I know one of the things in the scenario questions we used to use uh, would seed a, uh, an, an ethical or moral compass scenario. And it was really interesting to watch how the candidate would uh, navigate that. And that gives you a bit of an indication as well into uh, you know, what type of person they are. Yeah. Right. Totally agree there, uh, uh, Leonard. And, uh, and just to add uh, my two cents there, I think scenario-based interviews are, uh, you know, really important. And um, me having interviewed, I mean, I, I was thrown into taking interviews very early in my career. So I had the opportunity to interview people from Generation X, Generation Y, and now the millennials. So I guess, you know, we have seen a big change in the way people think, the way people operate. Uh, like Lisa was mentioning, she was uh, mentoring someone, you know, on on how the how the person thinks about crypto. You know, honestly, I've 
I know crypto, I'm in the fintech field, I know, but I still am not very comfortable with crypto, you know, as such, I would I like to say, but uh, my, my younger brother, uh, my cousin, you know, he's talking about crypto and I, I feel like I'm leaps and bounds behind him in terms of his knowledge and understanding of how crypto works. So I, I think, uh, you know, the way we interview people has to change that that entire scenario based questioning has to come in. We can't really w be working with rote questions. There is no one size fits all, as I mentioned earlier. I mean, that's what I found. It has to it has to evolve with 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 the way the 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 work cultures are changing, the technology is changing. So I think the interview process, the recruitment process is also as evolving as technology is uh, the way I see it. You know, it has to keep improving. You have to keep yourself up to date on what are the latest trends, how you can find the better way. And now we have uh, a lot of those Gallup surveys that you can do for finding you know, what is really happening or going on inside a person's head. I mean, I, I personally am not very comfortable with the results and the accuracy of those surveys, but I've heard that they seem to find a good fit when you're talking about a large organization and how their culture works. So yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of how I feel. It's interesting. Um, one of my great lessons of last year was engaging with a very senior executive at National Australia, Australia Bank, and she's an absolute legend. I won't name names again, but um, we were lining up to go for drinks after the, we won the gold at the Australian Workplace Equality Awards. And um, she said, oh, I can only stay for 20 minutes. And I said, oh, well, that will probably be really good because, like, the team won't want to have drinks in front of you. And she was like, why? We're all equal. <laughs> and I said, well, with all due respect, like, you're, like, practically mm -hmm. the two I see of the whole bank. And so you're kind of not equal to us. Like, people won't have fun in front of you. And and she was really, she was like, no, we are all equal. And she was really adamant. And I slept on it and I woke up the next day and I was like, oh, my God. How can I expect anybody to consider me to be their equal if I don't consider myself to be equal? And I realised that it was all coming from me. And I think that's the same when we're recruiting, when we're interacting, when we're building businesses, all of it, we're all equal. Uh, we might bring different skills to the table. We might bring more years of experience. But, like, I can't tell you how my life shifted when I just made that little tiny tweak of I am equal and seeing myself as equal because guess what? I can't expect to be treated equal if I don't show up like that. And I think that that's a two-way street. I think that we do have in our workplaces sort of there's all these unconscious biases of I have more experience and, you know, we create, create this inequity or this inequality um, by not starting from that basic premise. And, yeah, guess what? She's super successful. She's the two IC of a big four, a big four banker. Hate using that term. Um, however, there's a reason because she's obviously got this like amazing attitude. So I, I think um, a lot of the work has to come from within ourselves. And um, you know, I'm also a yoga teacher as well as being CEO of a, a company. And um, you know, I I do the work every day to to show up um, and, and be equal and and try and treat others equally and um and i think that's our own all of our own journeys to take and to be on um so that we can create this environment yeah i think sometimes especially in the modern current society we focus too much on work our relationship friends and families we didn't have the chance to zoom out to realize at the end of the day we're all humans right we're all equal 
So I think that's the reason why we are all here today to discuss this amazing topic. And uh, I think that takes us to the last question from Ritten. Uh, how to handle conflicts raised by the diversity, especially in the COVID situation? Right. So yeah, I mean, uh, I think this is something we have uh, all faced in our uh, in in the past couple of years, right? So of course, we talk about diversity. We and and what that really means is you're gonna have a lot of different perspectives, and with different perspectives comes there's always a high risk of arguments or any any kind of uh, interaction that maybe uh, you know not coming from the same point of view, and and for that to happen it could be considered a conflict i mean conflicts to a negative a term i think it would be more of a disagreement i would call it mm -hmm. uh, but even in that case you know uh, when those disagreements happen especially in a remote working environment it becomes really hard because if i have a disagreement today with a colleague of mine i can just go out with a coffee just have a discussion over a coffee and we'll close it there and then but then when you are working remotely that's a big it's a big task you know as uh, as as uh, as a leader for my team, uh, if somebody is coming to me with a problem that they have with another colleague, I can't just ask them to sit over a coffee and, and getting them onto a Teams or a Zoom call, just looking at their faces, you know, really, it's really hard to make out what to talk about and how you can kind of be that, uh, you know, mediator for the for the team members there. And, and that, that's the challenge that I've been kind of, uh, we haven't had too many of those challenges, but uh, I have had a lot of colleagues coming in uh, especially from larger organizations who have been facing this problem and uh, you know we've been kind of always talking about it what's the best way to deal with that especially when there could be uh, you know uh, especially with a diverse team uh, and that to you know spread across globally I could have a, a resource sitting out in Sri Lanka could be one person sitting in India one in US somebody in the UK and then you're talking and then there's you know all these talks of uh, you know disagreements and uh, different point of views and conflicts of interest. So how do you kind of deal with that? I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure uh, Leonard and Lisa, you must have faced that plenty. Uh, and uh, and I guess Vinny, you too. I mean, I guess you also, I saw the team is quite diverse there at uh, uh, Prezi. So, you know, I mean, how do you guys have been handling that? Well, for the second time, I'll just use a few words because I did run the Pride Network and I believe in fun. And even if it's Zoom drinks, connection and I think bringing it right back down to it, we're all human, like you say, we're all equal and sometimes you need to have a little bit of fun. And I, I find that conflicts can evaporate if we can um, find a way to connect and, and listen, right? Sometimes words aren't required. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, um, no doubt in, in this current environment, it has been a challenge because you cannot uh, physically sort of get together and when you have a geographically dispersed team uh, it does become uh, an even more uh, challenging situation uh, and I know it's not perfect but I, I, I do think one of the things that we've seen in the last two years this pandemic situation the uh, the absolute rise of SaaS technologies you know the, the video conferencing and zooms and it's, it is not perfect but when you compare to trying to have a, a discussion or dialogue with someone who's um, in, in, in uh, feeling a little sort of uh, hurt or transgress or, or whatever the situation is, at least those technologies um, uh, help reduce the, 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 some of the friction that would be otherwise, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, put it this way. The, you get the physical cues at least that you can get by seeing someone as opposed to not seeing them. 
And if you try and resolve something like that through, say, email or text, it, you're really going to be pushing it uphill in that respect. So part of the situation will be still using the technology we have at hand, especially when it's going to be uh, a geo geographical separation. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't can the Zoom technologies in that altogether. They do actually uh, uh, providing us with a, uh, uh, an edge that we other, otherwise would not have in that sense. Um, the only other thing I would add to that is I, I think that, and again, having gone through a, uh, an onboarding in a new organization during this period, um, one of the things that I found that was really, really useful in terms of establishing um, uh, the, the, the relationships across uh, individuals and teams was it was really, really crucial at the start of things for someone like a new starter to meet and get connected with the rest of my immediate team and then the wider ecosystem, you know, in terms of the reps uh, uh, who are responsible for other segments of the team. Uh, at, at a minimum, you start to form uh, a better idea in, in, in your head in terms of who's who and where's where. Uh, uh, in, in particular, your areas you can go for help, you know, whether it is your traditional HR or other mechanisms they have in place. And, and for me, that, that was, that was um, quite a significant uh, aspect of my onboarding during this, this period when we're all uh, you know, locked away remotely. Uh, on top of that, my, uh, my two leads, uh, my, my, my boss, uh, we had a minimum of, of a wiki uh, catch-up contact uh, during that period. Uh, and that, that just makes things a little easier in terms of that whole onboarding process and knowing who's who and where to turn to in terms of uh, uh, times of, of, of need and help. Yeah, I'll just add a, add a couple of points. And um, I think uh, at least points about um, listening, I think active listening is, is, is huge. I think kind of sitting back and letting someone talk, I think mm. it, it is very powerful. Um, I understand the challenges of, of COVID and, you know, especially people, new people joining a, com a company and not met their colleagues. I think that's, that's a huge thing and we should do everything to try and meet face to face. Uh, you know, I work with global teams myself, and and that's that's a, a challenge. Um, but again, it's looking for them opportunities. You no know, coffee catch-ups, different things, just things you could maybe do over, over over video. I think. But if you're in in a conversation as well as where you you feel like that kind of um, them disagreements and stuff are happening, often what I might do is kind of, you know, try to take some of the if I can feel a frustrations coming out, you know, kind of put yourself in that position to, you know, uh, takes, you know, it's really about, you know, if someone actually disagrees or someone's having a, you know, it's actually putting yourself in saying, oh, you know, taking some of that on yourself or, you know, show a little bit of vulnerability and kind of go, okay, yeah. let's, you know, kind of disarm the, the situation can help. So I think, Look, it's it's such a human thing, and I think it's this whole um, living on a screen is is being a challenge to to, to everyone. I think, um, and and now we're going through our next natural disaster as well. I think it's uh, it's 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 one thing after another. I think it's you no, know, I think it's just keeping an eye and keeping in touch, and and uh, you know, being there as well, being available. Yeah, fires, COVID floods. People people just need an opportunity to be heard. Yeah. That sense. Yeah, right.
I think that kind of sums it up, Leonard. Thanks a lot for that. And thanks, Vinny, for those uh, points there. And thanks, Lisa, too. Uh, you know, I, I realize, and I know we are running short of time, just one last comment there. So, of course, drinks on Skype or drinks on Zoom definitely really help. So we, we do have that team culture. Every Friday, the whole team gets on. When we were working from home, every Friday, we were literally mandated to sit in front of the screen with the whole team, with a beer in hand or anything else that you prefer to drink and just chit chat. You know, there's no official updates to just, you know, just, just uh, you know, mm. just a leisure call, be traveling, be, just be open about what you had and what you have in mind and what's the plan. Like, and I think that really helped. So I think a lot of the points that uh, I've just heard, I think they are, uh, on the right track and we'll try and see if we can you know incorporate more of those and hopefully things should get back to normal now and we may not have to do a lot of those but i think the new normal is there's going to be a lot of remote yeah. that's for sure yeah. no, you're right you're right yeah i just want to say a big thank you for everyone taking time today i really find this conversation really insightful and inspirational and definitely looking forward for the future different topics as well